Last time I did text-to-speech with the Chukawai I Japanese voice everyone got mad at me. So this time I'm making it as plain as possible because as Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. This Saturday November 10th is our 24-hour live stream for charity. Please look up more at bd4pp.com. level best it's been so many years since i've actually had to set all this up and do it correctly yeah like, i'm just waiting for something to blow up well look i mean correctly is a sliding scale <laughs> like, correctly means like people can listen to it on on their ipods or whatever kids are using yep. these days uh and not go deaf yeah <laughs> i mean it's also the summer so i'm trying i'm gonna see how it is without the air conditioning but i can't make any promises <laughs> Yeah, so our basement got down to like about 63 degrees because the thermostat's busted and it just runs forever until you turn it off. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's a nice ice chest down here and then I flipped everything off. So no sound at all out of the vents. It's, you know, fingers crossed pretty good. Yeah, that was always my yeah. dream was to get like a place with central AC so the air conditioner would be relatively quieter. But like, come on, I don't know. $4,500 or whatever it would cost to get into a place like that. Like, nothing in New York is going to have that. Oh, God, tell me about it. I mean, we, this past week, we put in a bid on uh, a condo here in D.C. And, I mean, my mind is blown trying to deal with real estate in this area. It just yeah. the numbers, the amenities, nothing makes sense together. Uh, you know, these listings may be in hieroglyphics as far as I'm concerned. Um, this place was nice. I liked it. It was a loft, had a separate bedroom. You could use the loft area as a second bedroom or fun area or an office or whatever the hell you want. But it was still like $475,000. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, we saw plenty. Of, that was like the sort of price of like studios we were looking at in Brooklyn at the height of the housing crash. I can't even yeah. imagine now. Also, Groth says hi, naturally. Ah, yes. Hey, Groth. She's about to take pants out. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, Catherine just took off uh, to run some errands, and so I've got the house to myself. And, nice. uh Yeah, so we should have good surroundings for recording this Yay. audio. So. All right, uh, let's let's do this. I'm gonna open by paying homage. Uh, something I realize I've never done in, in any of the times doing this uh, to an old show that I listened to back in maybe the late '90s or you know, very early 2000s. Uh, a fantastic old gaming podcast called The Daily Dementia. Uh -huh. uh, so, welcome, Mr. Riley, to the sweet, soothing, sensual, touchy-feely, erotic, pleasurable sounds of the karate, the fast. A karate. Nice. <laughs> uh, I'm introducing you to your own podcast because today is a little different from, I think, the norm uh, for this feed. And so we're here today to do a much delayed, uh, but I think 
very good uh, episode on uh, your book. Hey, <laughs> thank yeah. you for having me here on my feed, <laughs> which yep. you say outside of the norm, but it's like all I get now these days are people being like, when's the next Fast Karate? And I'm like, I don't know, ask Joel. <laughs> He's got kids. I don't have yeah. kids, so I'm still less busy, but it just sort of wears you out asking people over and over again. You feel like you're being a bother. Yeah. No, I, uh, I used to see Joel on Overwatch, and then, you know, he, he just he disappeared one day. I don't think he's ever quite come back. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not exactly the milieu for this podcast, but there's another JoJo's coming out, so Fast Karate will return at least for that. But yes, I, I am aware that we have not recorded a podcast in a long time, the internet. I hope this will tide you over. And thank you, John, uh, yes. for putting in the effort. Hey, man, you know, like, I'm a pale stand-in for Joel, but I will do well, my level best. Indeed, I'm, I'm pale in most regards, I suppose. Well, I mean... Yeah, so am I. <laughs> Joel's even got us on that. <laughs> it's it's 97 degrees outside. You better believe I'm not fucking going out there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's like I got, I was like, ooh, I got my farmer's tan from working in Manhattan. <laughs> Which means that, like, from my neck up, I'm just red. So staying true to your heritage, I suppose. Yeah, you know, naturally. So what's up? How are so, we going to do this? Uh, you know, I thought about this a lot and i thought you know we usually whether it was book stuff or whether it was you guys uh you know talking the animus like it was a lot of riffing and a lot of you know semi-review recap kind of stuff um and i thought maybe i'd do a little differently with this one because you know usually you didn't have yoshiaki kawajiri on the show to talk to you know about whatever you had just watched and so um I thought maybe do a little more interview style if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm down. I mean, look, any way it goes, it's going to be flattering to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm ready to be inside the actor's studio, so to speak. All right. So I, I you can't see it, but I, I'm steepling my fingers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm Leaning taking into on the a mic. very grave look. Dave, how many days, how many months, how many years of your life did you spend working on this book oh god actually don't remind me (laughs) or first i first i shall remind myself uh and then i'll i'll politely ask that you take those memories back uh i think i started on it in 20 i want to say 2012 or 2013 and it came out in 2016 let's call it four years that seems shorter now that i think about it (laughs) but you know there's been so many computer revisions that like i can't trust the file uh, creation sure. dates but yeah you know on and off like that's not four actual years that's like four years of two or three guilt induced like two or three week periods per year where i came back to it where like the suffering of not working on it outbalanced the suffering of working on it and as you went through those periods where you would go away for eight months and then come back to it, yeah, I mean, how many substantive revisions did you undertake on the book? Oh, I don't know, like probably at least a dozen. I'm actually like while we talk trying to find, like I should have some kind of uh, folder in here that's got all that stuff in it. But like I know specifically that I stopped titling things like first draft, second draft, third draft on sixth draft 
And then, of course, like, you know, it's like the sort of meme or image macro of like Photoshop file names that are like final, final dash for real, final <laughs> revision, new edit, like that sort of thing. Like I got into sure. those. I mean, yeah, I mean, at least a dozen. That's that sounds right for like sort of like substantive revisions. Uh, I feel like you were probably party to at least one of those before the final. But yeah, that's I got right. Like, so I've I've, I've had the privilege of reading I think two different versions of the book now. Right. Um, and I, I'll have you know I reread the last two hundred pages uh, today in preparation for this because I fuzzed out on parts of the ending. Jesus, I mean, like I don't think I've reread the last two hundred pages <laughs> in the past two years. So. Uh, yeah, this this is actually among the few books that I've read like three times or more. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, I I'm definitely not like a big rereader, uh, but I guess writing something gives you like an appreciation for like, well, I need to figure out how to read this thing like three hundred times without throwing up. Because uh, right, like... and and <laughs> and that process actually is what I wanted to hit at right away. Is you know. Look at what you went through. Four years, 12 revisions, you know, big ones. And so why do it at all? Why go through all of that? Ain't that the million-dollar question uh, for which I don't have an answer for? I just feel like, well, for my personal thing, it's like, well, I'm a lot more miserable when I'm not doing it for a long period of time. Because uh, I've like sort of thought like what am I like you know I I'm sure just anybody who tries to do this stuff goes through this but um the process feels so excoriating <laughs> um and like especially when you're sort of working on your first book and I went through long periods where I was like really I don't know I'm not gonna say trying hard but I was trying my best to like solicit uh first agents and then publishing houses and on different novels that i had written um and you're you have like many dark nights of the soul i guess not to invoke conrad <laughs> um but like the it's just i don't know like i don't like to get mystical about it but it, it is like there's some sort of inherent desire to like create <laughs> or express yourself or sort of uh, put these things on the page so you then understand yourself a little better, which is, I guess, like the best way that I could describe it is like, you know, often I feel like with writing, I'm like, oh, I write because I can like get very lucky and sort of uh, when I'm on kind of first drafts, just come pouring out of my fingers. Uh, this book certainly did. It took me like about a month to write the first draft. Um and then you sit there and you, after you sort of deal with the climactic shock of, oh, this isn't finished. It's in fact very, very far from finished. Uh, you sit down and you're like, well, what did I write? <laughs> like what sort of themes did I kind of uh, unconsciously insert little nuggets of or like the seedlings of ideas and how can I tease those out? What does this say about me? What, what am I like, what is my sort of personal philosophy that I'm trying to express and what can I learn about myself and how can I express that in a way that, you know, sort of gets my feelings across to other people. So 
So to to put it in a much cheesier but more succinct way, this was self-discovery in some form for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Look, everybody wants to get, like, rich or whatever. But I guess at some point in the process, I was like, well, there are kind of things you would like to have happen, and there are goals. And, like, or rather, you can't set things that are outside of your control as goals. So I feel like I've talked about this a lot over different mediums, but you have this like stepping down process of um, like, gee, I'd love to be a millionaire writer or, and then from there you're like, well, you know, being a best-selling writer would be nice (laughs) or like getting a movie deal or movie option or whatever. And you're like, well, getting a book published would be pretty good. (laughs) And eventually you just sort of fall on this, like literally if it goes out the door, I'm good. And so (laughs) trying not to lump too much uh, expectation of your success on like imaginary people. Eventually I just had to like pull that back and be like, all right, especially given my temperament, how I work, uh, and to a certain extent what I want to write, but mostly just like, I don't have it in me to do a lot of networking and stuff like that. Um, I, I, what is realistically like, what am I looking to get out of this that I can actually, attain for myself or ensure I get. And it's like, yeah, you know, giving myself a place to like sort of expand on these ideas. Um, and it just feels good. Like there's a, you know, I don't like to subscribe to this, uh, mentality cause I do think it's poisonous, but like <laughs> we were a country founded on Calvinist ideas and I sort of can't completely erase the feeling of like being productive is what makes my life worthwhile. <laughs> like that sort of like your labor is the only thing that validates you kind of, um, so I, I think, I think that there's a way to get that without the poison. I've certainly tried to, <laughs> I don't know I, if I'm quite there yet, but well, we're all struggling, but I think, uh, I think for sure that there, there's, there's a, a noble aspect to that, that you're, you're hinting at that, that you can have the good parts of Calvinism, the idea that you know, work is its own reward to some degree, that there's a, a virtue, right? If you sort of spin a virtue ethics gloss onto this, um, you know, that that you are ennobled through the doing of this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's a good way I, to put it. I think that's fair. You know, and, and so you, know, you can avoid Marxist alienation or commodification of humanity or whatever. No, it's it's really about you refining yourself through your own actions and and that can make things worth doing all by themselves. Yeah. I I mean, I do think there's an aspect of personal betterment to it, or at least that's what I get out of it. You know, the same as with like making a garden or (laughs) exercising, you know, there, there are things that are like, you know, either effort for sort of intrinsic personal improvement or uh, the development of the self through hobbies, like, you know, that's how I sort of feel about it at this point in my life, uh, where it's been like the better part of two years since I put this book out and I haven't put out a ton since, um, Hmm. you know, it tends to make you reflective, I guess, about like, what's the next step. And, and we'll, we'll get to that here today. But the, the first thing is to, to start with some of the substance here of what you have written. So, you know, you've described the effort you've gone through, and out of all of that came a book. But why this book? Why werewolves? Why vampires? Why fantasy genre work at all? 
this, as I understand it, was also aimed for sort of a young, sort of teenage audience. Uh, and, and so why those particulars? Well, I mean, there's a lot of uh, things crossing there. For one, werewolves are just totally sweet. I think nobody's going to argue that. <laughs> They're pretty good. Vampires are all right. right. We're, we're done Not here. Not as good question. as werewolves. <laughs> um, but, you know, to, I, I like genre fiction a lot. Um, and I find it pretty easy. I don't know. Some people get, like, pretty deep into world building stuff. And I don't think that's, like, sort of my strongest aspect. So in that way, like genre fiction isn't quite for me, but um, it is kind of easy to write. The expectations for good or for ill are a little lower on it. So I like wasn't going out the door or right up at first at bat being like, I'm going to write literature. Um, and uh, sorry, it's based on it a little. So I mean, the, the YA thing sort of comes part and parcel with that i feel i don't feel like a, a strong bond to ya as a genre and i didn't really grow up w with ya in the spotlight like people younger than us probably did i guess because like I, yeah, I i wondered to what degree that genre existed uh when i was younger because if it did you know as an explicit category i guess i wasn't really too aware of it because there were there were kids books but yeah. they were intended for as i understood it children like you know in the fifth grade yeah and to have stuff aimed at sort of the like like a harder edged kids book that was aimed at 12 year olds or something i i wasn't aware of such stuff i just went straight to intended for adult fantasy and sci-fi novels because uh i was and persist in being a nerd so. yeah i i think there's stuff that we both probably read at certain times in our life that was like more or less YA, like, uh, like yeah. C.S. Lewis or certain Ursula Le Guin but, or yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah Tolkien and, and Lewis and all those sorts of things that, you know, are readily apprehensible by young kids. Yeah. The vocabulary is tuned appropriately. The themes are fairly obvious. But I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like nowadays if you have... Uh, teenage characters, especially like a teenage protagonist, you you're you almost have to find a way out of YA. <laughs> like you're categorized okay. as YA by default. That seemed to be how people described, especially like paranormal stuff with a teenage character. Like you can't not be YA. So I was like, whatever, it's YA. You know, it doesn't <laughs> mean a lot to me, uh, and perhaps to my detriment. Like I don't really read a lot of YA, or you know, I. I read books here and there that are in that orbit, but it's never something that like, you know, I never read the Harry Potters and sort of things like that. I've dipped my feet into a hunger game, but I don't know. Like, it's just, I feel like those sort of genre things are not usually, um, sort of at the forefront of my mind, I guess. Uh, and I've never been like a, like, Oh, this is speculative fiction, or this is like the distinction between fantasy and sci-fi. Like, I, I don't know. It's just never really concerned me. So to that extent, like I, it also doesn't concern me in writing. No, that that's fair. So basically you just picked the subject matter because it was stuff you were familiar with. You liked it and yeah. it was a good frame within which to tell the story you wanted to tell. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of that stuff probably got backfilled. I feel like it was probably like, hey, you know what I like? Spunky protagonists uh, and werewolves. So I'm going to write 100,000 words about that or 80,000 or however much that first draft came to be. 
Uh, and then after I sat down and had a reckoning with it and was like, all right, what's this story actually about? <laughs> like, let's uh, refine this ore, get the slag out of sure. here. Sure. Oh, that seems to me quite reasonable. I don't know many first drafts that survive scrutiny. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the interesting thing for me, and, and if you'll indulge me with a little anecdote, you know, I, I when I was younger, I was very much into writing. I wanted to write you know, for a living, for my passion, you know, for any number of reasons. And, and I just knew that it was my destiny to churn out, you know, some sort of high literature. And then, of course, you grow up and the rubber meets the road and you realize that eh, it's probably not going to actually happen. Right. Um, and, and I made a shift and it was a pretty conscious one from doing a lot of fiction writing to doing a lot of nonfiction writing. And I don't know if it was just the product of schooling, where that's the focus in sort of a non-MFA setting, uh, or if this was something peculiar to me in particular. I'm not certain, but I really gravitated toward nonfiction in my 20s and started reading a lot more of nonfiction works, writing a lot more nonfiction, and then ultimately sort of gave up on the idea of producing my own content and now perhaps as a matter of irony, most of what I do every day is just write gigantic legal documents. Right. <laughs> so I've I've come all the way from, you know, Proust to, uh, you know, probably one of the clerks in Brazil in a background shot. Mm. Um, you know, so it's, it's really, it, it's been a weird shift. But as part of it, what I've noticed is that if I think about, writing some sort of fiction, it feels goofy to me, right? Mm-hmm. How, because I know you write in both areas, how do you approach fiction without feeling, frankly, silly? Because it's all make-believe. Oh, and, sure. And it can feel that way. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like maybe you don't. Uh, or, I don't know, I'm just a, a pretty self-conscious person in a lot of ways. So I might not be the best person to ask that. I feel like it's kind of, um, you know, something you kind of push through. I just, like, I don't have that attitude that people do or people seem to online. Like, a lot of what I would recognize as sort of, like, the popular writers who are who have carved, carved out their niche in, like, the uh, small-time Twitter writer's world where these people seem to be like successful and seem to be doing it as their career they're like all right let's get up today and write all the things fellas hashtag m writing like and that's no shade to them because like obviously they're doing it at a level that i am not um but i have always felt (laughs) for the most part like very withdrawn and skeptical even of my own work like even if i'm in sort of my most in tune and writing and actually excited about something um, I really do like generally feel pretty afar from it and sort of what I think you're describing of like the sort of apprehension, I guess, or just like getting over yourself. Um, I don't know that I ever have so much as I've just kind of pushed through it. That's quite a realistic answer. And, and I, I don't have any sort of perspective on the other side cause I've never pushed through that at all. I've sort of been pushed away as though by some magnetic force um so it's yeah it it just was a thought that occurred to me as i went through this because it's it's quite a lot of commitment yeah i mean to write this many <laughs> words right 
and and at some point I figure you have to confront that notion. Yeah. I I doubt like most people get comfortable with it to a level, but I know for me personally, like they, I, I just you know, I, it's a lot of pendulum swinging back and forth. Like sometimes I look at the book that I put out that at like a certain point in my life I decided I was either comfortable enough putting it out or. I had to put it out, otherwise I would just die. Um, and kind of a little of both. Uh, and I'm like, that's not a real book. Like, you know, or in the sense of like, what, what sort of made you decide that you were worthy of doing that? Even though, like that's sort of a ridiculous proposition on its face. But like, you know, sometimes you feel sort of solid and, and well moored and comfortable in what you've released, and sometimes you don't. Um, Are you those, proud? Uh, I mean, I'm sort of more proud of the effort, maybe. I don't know. Or the effort is, again, something that I can, like, kind of attach onto and feel sincerely and deeply. Uh, the, like, kind of words themselves. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I Like, I ought to be. Uh, but it's, like, sort of in the vacuum of, like, scant external validation, I guess. Um I feel, it feels more like pushing away self-doubt <laughs> than uh, being confident. And so, you know, with two things you've said, two categories of things, it brings up a a question, I guess, about the substance of the text. So, you know, one, there's this personal struggle about getting the work done and how you relate to the work. And then on the other hand, there's, the content in the book itself, uh, which you have acknowledged is, uh, to some degree, uh, exegetical of self, if, if we can put it that way. But but there, there's some of you in the book. And so how is this personal to you in terms of the content of the book? What of yourself, uh, your philosophies, your viewpoints, your attitudes, did, did you end up injecting in the book? And when you go back through it, what stands out to you that you go, aha, there I am? Um, well, you know, it is like, <laughs> it, it is at least semi-autobiographical in the way that, like, most novels have to be a little autobiographical. Um, you know, obviously there's not like a one-to-one -one <laughs> transposition of my character traits with the main character. But, you know, it's, it's about like an incredibly anxious teen um, who can't, internalized love <laughs> so at some point um i was almost framing it around the idea of it being like you know a love genre and like so i i dropped it because it felt too cute to like so i was like oh this feels like a like a talking point in a way that i don't know if i can really back up but like sort of talking around it as if it you know it's in the love genre but and the, like this is the twist and that's why i was like i don't want to describe things as having a twist but it's a story about a person who can't internalize love having like an empathy superpower essentially um and you know if i like sort of reflect on myself i didn't or rather i didn't sit down and like decide that that was the case you know it's one of those things where you look back on it and you're like all right here's what the story feels like it's about here's how i can tease that out and i was like yeah you know that is something that troubles me like i feel <laughs> overburdened with a lot of empathy and i don't know what to do with it um and I find that like very difficult at times to like, you know, to feel like you can very like tangibly feel the suffering of others and have no outlet for it. 
Um, and you know, that's sort of like what the book is about is yeah, this person who like both does not love themselves and cannot accept the love of others having the emotions of others forced into her. That sounds fairly deeply personal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so then I'll, I'll ask, you know, the, the, the sense of uh, belonging and the sense of acceptance that the, the protagonist feels at various points in the book. You know, I hope that that part is also true for you as well, that you've gotten those overwhelmingly positive <laughs> character components as part of your experience as well. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, you know, it's not meant to be one-to-one, but like, yeah, you know, I think there are some distinctions there. Um, but it's, you know, I feel like the idea going in uh, or how I sort of meant it to be is that, you know, at the end of the day, like you can have these like really, or you can crave these really outsized displays of emotion and be like, well, you know, it's sort of, if you don't love me at my X, you don't deserve me at my Y even like, you know, and, and so when I was a teenager or like a late, late teens, young adult, like trying to kind of go into the dating world and, and meet people. I was very much like, it, it was almost a game of like, how much will this person kind of tolerate from me? Like my kind of bad behavior. Uh, and, and just in the sense of like, you know, I'm going to be like, kind of a prick, like contrarian, you know, not necessarily cruel, but like, you know, I'm going to like be this sort of, uh, adolescent, like, um, grumbly teen who needs you to prove that you like me when I'm like being capricious or like messing around with you. Um, and, and I think as you grow up or you learn that lesson of like, you know, people who love and care about you, uh, or just the people who are like kind of around you and you may need to fine tune your senses uh, to understand that like displays of intimacy and affection are uh, like much more subtle than that. And to a certain extent are because their presence persists in your life uh, and not everything has to be this like gigantic display of emotion that uh, proves that people love you despite your flaws it's and and like coming to terms with that and being like you know what i'm I'm not gonna worry about this or i'm not gonna like spend my whole life as an exam getting people to prove that they love me by whoever gets me the most balloons for my birthday or whatever and so this brings me i think to the most important question which is uh have you ever turned into a giant wolf regrettably no but i got time (laughs) i'm not 40 yet uh, that's, that's true. So never say never, but I, I, it's, it hasn't happened yet, much to my chagrin. <laughs> so, you know, there, there was a part, uh, I guess maybe about three quarters of the way through the book, uh, where a concept was introduced and it persisted through the rest of the book uh, concerning the vampire end of this world. Um, and, and it was about this sort of creeping malaise that haunts them after the first several years of having been turned. Right. Um, just slowly sapping your drive, your will to exist, and just eroding you as an individual. That for sure spoke to me. <laughs> um, 
because I I sort of understand that even if I'm wrong about it and I'm misperceiving where I am in life and how life works, you know, that that's something that feels familiar to me. Is that something that, that you identify with in any way? Is this maybe just just a part of aging? I mean, yeah, I, I suspect yes. Life feels like a grind, um, but the world is not great right now. <laughs> Hasn't been great in a long time, but it's it's very in your face about how not great it is now. I thought things were great again, Dave. I thought they were supposed to make it good, but truthfully, uh, America was never great. Um, is, is my my take. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think there's some very obvious parallels there. I was sort of happy with that because I felt like it was the one thing I sort of figured out that was a little unique to vampire fiction. Probably not like I'm sure other people uh, have tread this path, but it, it occurred to me and I was like, yeah, that feels like, um, you know, not on purpose, but a somewhat uh, handy encapsulation of my worldview, or at least how I like interact with the world is like, yeah, you, it's not just this thing of malaise, but also that you need to have a focus to sort of keep the malaise at bay. And it has to be like a very distinct <laughs> defined task uh, that will bring you fulfillment uh, and keep all the bad things in the shadows so you don't kind of consume yourself in the process uh, or wither away to this husk that has no will to live. Um, and yeah, like I can see why that might be resonant with you. It certainly is with me, even if I that's not kind of directly what I was thinking about at the time. Um, I know the inverse is true. I'm much happier when I feel like I've got a plan in motion. I can identify with that for sure. So yeah, I think that part of it is... Uh quite significantly timeless and particularly apt at this moment in time. So um, I guess as I think about where to go next, I guess the the substantive point that I found interesting throughout the book is as I met each successive character, um, you know, it became clear pretty quickly that the, the vast majority of characters of any import uh, in this book were women. And last time I checked, you were not a woman. And so I wanted to see if there was anything that you encountered as part of trying to write from these vantages uh, that was difficult, more difficult than you would have thought, easier than you would have thought, uh, that it maybe gave you any sort of particular insights that came from that exercise. Well... <laughs> I mean, being truthful, I feel like sort of the much more risky proposition was making the main character Asian. <laughs> and that was like purely a factor of whim. Um, but I'm the sort of person that like, once I get an idea in my head like that, it, I, it, that just becomes my conception of the character. And it's very difficult for me to shake. Like, you know, when you sort of make up placeholder names for characters, just be like, I'll name this town, whatever just to like keep the manuscript moving and I'll come back to it and think of a good name later. Eventually you're just like, no, that's just the fucking name, man. Like I'm not going to change it. And so, yeah, like making the character um, Japanese and to a certain extent culturally Japanese. Um, I feel like if I was writing a draft from scratch now, I probably would not do that. It was like, it's okay. sort of purely 
a factor of stubbornness that I didn't change it however many drafts in. But I do, th- like, you know, anything I say I feel like would be kind of justification. But, you know, it's meant to be sort of, um, you know, the reason she's Japanese and not Chinese or Korean, uh, which is far more likely for a child to be adopted in America (laughs) uh, who's from those cultures is because, you know, it's meant to be sort of like this miracle thing. And there's supposed to be a substantive difference there. Um, You know, I sort of did the best I could with it. I don't feel like it's unimpeachable. (laughs) Uh, Like I certainly don't. I I sort of, I feel like I have a reasonable understanding of the culture. I I talk to people that I know. Um, But anyway, like to your actual question, um, yeah, I feel like that's like happenstance a little. Um, in some ways, I I did it on purpose. You know, there are certain characters like Carmilla where their gender is like a factor in the story. Um, and there's like distinction to be drawn there with like a character is 400 years old and has seen these sort of gendered things progress and change. And with Molly, who <laughs> I don't know if like, you know, she's 17, she's on Tumblr. Uh, she probably thinks she's a feminist, but she's probably also a little like, you know, things are pretty good now, right? We can vote. Like, uh, things are moving at the right clip. Um, I mean, I don't think people should be afraid to, like, write the character, characters of any gender, especially. Like, I feel like that's not a problem because there are plenty of books. Like, the sort of numbers may be off in, in mainstream books but who cares about that because it's all bullshit anyway uh but like i think if you want to you know part of this part of what art does is i I don't know it's a difficult way to to describe it but it's it's about like sort of building empathy and understanding at least between the artist and the reader or the experiencer uh if not broader culturally and i and thus like even as like sort of a a method of self-improvement especially especially if you're a white person, (laughs) like, I think there's like a a good, there's something to be gained in attempting to understand perspectives outside of your own, or at the very least, like not hiding behind the bulwark of like, I am a straight white male, thus the only thing I can write is straight white men and kind of like perpetuating the problem. Like it is, you know, it's a little bit of a minefield. Um, You're going to get yelled at. Uh, and nobody's ever going to like a hundred percent of people aren't going to think you've got everything right. But, um, you know, I mean, for me, especially like as a sort of like first draft of a novel, uh, it's literally like the snap decision of like, this is the character I wanted to write at that exact moment at that day in like a first draft, um, that I then was kind of too recalcitrant to, to change, you know, not that none of those characters in there have been changed or were originally something and now or something else. Um, but that's sort of like the sense of it, I guess is just like, you know, I tend to operate on whim a lot. These decisions feel kind of arbitrary. And then I kind of backfill in the details, I guess. You know, I, I really like that answer and, and I like it, uh, insignificant part because you don't put too much weight on the whole process it's it's a creative endeavor most creative endeavors uh are not things that you plan from start to finish and follow a script uh they they tend to evolve they're highly organic 
Um, yeah, totally. And and so <laughs> leaving room for caprice makes sense to me. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, if people could teach me how to write an outline, I'm all ears because uh, I feel like that would improve my life a lot. <laughs> but as it is now, it wouldn't improve your writing, though. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, oh, everything no. I've ever written that uh, conforms to any sort of an outline structure has been some of the most impenetrable bullshit that anyone has ever composed. So yeah, I. I mean, I, I that doesn't do any magic tricks for you is all specifically for these days it's just like the feeling of not having a plan can be really stultifying can be like Mm -hmm. you know i don't know i always joke about this like you know the simpsons uh the joke where homer's like marge it'll be like that time i took the like you know every time i learn something new it pushes something old out of my brain like when i took that homemade winemaking course and i forgot how to drive she's like homer you were drunk he's like and how like that's how i felt (laughs) feel about like um you know i used to be so good at doing first drafts and just cranking them out and i could do like you know on a different novel that has not seen the light of day like i wrote over the period of two weeks and like one day got something like ridiculous like 16,000 words in sorry I almost said 100 it was 1,000 and like at some point and I found revisions and editing just miserable I was like this is the least fun thing I can imagine I like have no experience in this I literally don't know if I'm doing anything or if I'm just moving words around and like moving commas or deleting commas adding semicolons whatever uh, and at some point I had to like forcibly flip a switch in my brain and be like, look, you're just going to sit down and figure out a way to enjoy this. Otherwise you're going to die. Like, or you're never going to get anything done. You're just going to be depressed forever. Uh, in the process of that, it really felt like I sort of shifted all my talent points over to revisions and forgot how to do forced drafts. So I find that like operating from a place of just sort of unrestrained id or whatever just like letting the muse take you where it will like pretty inaccessible these days uh and that's like Mm -hmm. frustrating and i'm trying to figure out how to get back to that place i wish you luck on that particular (laughs) effort i i I have no guidance for you unfortunately um it's why would i but um but given the editing process was something that you, you know, you obviously did later than the first draft process. I assume you've got some pretty clear recollections of what that's like. Um, and so I've got a few things that deal with that process. Cause I yeah. think it's actually pretty interesting. Um, you know, first, did you find it to be really painful to go through the editing process? Cause you, you said at first it was bad. Did it remain that way? did it get much easier and even if it got easier functionally was there like an emotional component like someone's messing with my stuff because i know you worked with outside editing later in the uh, the process uh you know probably like the sort of most difficult experience i had with that um was uh, maybe around like the third or fourth major revision i like sent it to a real quote unquote real, like a, you know, a person who does this for a living, uh, like a freelance editor. Um, and she got it back to me and was like, you know, it's one of those things where like you get criticism or you get that like compliment criticism sandwich kind of thing. And the criticism is just so sharp that you're like, fuck it. I don't even know what the compliments are. It's all shit. Just burn it down. So like going from that place of like, I think this is more or less finished. I just want somebody to move the periods around uh, 
to like, oh, this is not anywhere near done. Um, I was, yeah, like sort of oddly embarrassed by that. And I found that really difficult. Um, but that sort of taught me to like not be or experiences like that taught me to not be so possessive and so sensey about like other people touching my stuff. Um, both, you know, being like, Oh, they're so dumb. They don't know anything. I was right. And also the reverse of just like accepting every bit of criticism as, as proof that you were dumb and like, you're on the wrong track. Like, I feel like those things, uh, double thinky as they may be, can both exist in your head at the same time. Um, and you'll drive yourself crazy being feeling like you both like nobody knows what you're thinking in your head. And yet everybody also like is completely right about everything. Um, but, uh, sort of generally about editing, I did get to a place where then I was like, I, I think what sort of trained me out of it was just having something where I was like, you know, I can just wake up in the morning and like have two hours before work. Uh, and word is already open and there's something in front of me and I don't have to write anything new. I just have to look at words until I do something and I will have come out of it feeling like I got something done, quote unquote. Um, and so even though that process can be like really laborious, uh, and time consuming and you don't come out of it with like the really nice appealing word count for the day that you can like plug into software software to be like, look how much of a good job I did today. Um, there's like a very, there's a completely different kind of craftsmanship appeal to it, I guess is like the way I would phrase it. So with that, especially taking into account the external editors, and I, I assume you had more than one. Cause I, I know of two off the top of my head, um, and probably a few more folks that you sent it to for feedback. Um, when you went through the process, did you get the sense, as I've sort of learned as I've gotten older, that this this auteur theory that we apply to creative works doesn't hold up in practice so much? Do, do you, oh, totally. Did you have any adaptations to this sort of work by committee Whereas, you know, perhaps you started out thinking more auteur theory, this is my book, I'm going to write it, I get somebody to fix the semicolon, I screwed up, and it goes to market. Yeah, exactly. No, that's totally, you know, without realizing it, that's how I came into it. Being like, oh, yeah, you know, this is just, we're going to cram this thing, it's going to be done, it's going to be great, everything's fine. Um, and what I realized, and I, I essentially put something to this extent at the end of the book, uh, was that's all bullshit. Like, and I feel like people hold up the novel as kind of like the last bastion of like the single vision of art. Uh, and that's just like, so totally false and not even in the like explic explicit provable way of like, well, you know, you had an editor work on this. Like the book would not be the same if I like for, but for the conversations that I had with Grotz, my wife, <laughs> for example, uh, who like afford my view on a lot of those characters. And there's like at least a half dozen people, um, both who I, who were available to me to bounce ideas off of and who also kind of like fed me ideas of their own that I was able to then kind of form into what the book eventually became. 
Um, so it would just be absurd. Like, you know, nobody like makes any amount of art in a vacuum. So like, I just, yeah, I totally agree. It's like, I, I, if like the novel can't be kind of auteur in that way. And like, this is like this, you know, ultimately it's a single vision cause it's a self-published novel, but like, yeah, you know, I had two professional people that I paid edit this book at different points in its life. Uh, and it, yeah, like at least a half a dozen others read it and give me feedback. Uh, so like to discount their contributions would be folly, I guess, like, or, you know, hubris is probably the more accurate way of saying it. And was that sort of a revelation? I mean, I assume it was, but how did it strike you as you came to that? Or was it so slow that you just frog in the pot style woke up one day and realized "Mm, I've been operating on a completely uh, bogus theory? Well, you know that, I mean, that was just like sort of the benefit of not writing this in six months and putting it out the door like I wanted to. Uh, Mm. Both it gives you the time to kind of let the ideas in the story percolate and also like to let your ideas about what you want to like permit into your own head. Like, you know, I was what? I wasn't even 30 when I started it, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. the number. I don't remember how the numbers line up. But, uh, you know, that's a lot of living to do in a few years. Like, I probably wasn't I wasn't married when I started this book. Uh, And so like, yeah, it's giving yourself room to change and grow as a person at the same time. And like, you know, being real, like taking five ish years, four or five years to write this book, like was wary. It wore on my soul, certainly. Um, But like, it would not be as good as it were um, without, having taken that time and having all the resources I had available to me to take a look at it. And and, in bringing those resources to bear and over that long period of time, I'm curious because I've seen two drafts of the book uh, front to back and I was able to spot several differences, but I'm curious, you know, for you, what changed the most from your original vision to the final edition. Uh, <laughs> Molly sucks a lot more. And I think that's like, or she sucks in a different way. Uh, but she, like I, at some point I was going through like the earliest drafts of the novel, which are on like Google drive. Uh, I was like looking at something else in Google drive and I was like, Ooh, like first draft desk 17. I wonder what's going on in there. Uh, and I was like, Wow. I wrote this character that had like some severely rude dude um, and like pulling way, way, way back on that and making her like just a super depresso uh, loser, I feel like was like the absolute right choice. Um, so that's probably like the greatest change. I'm trying to think of like, you know, there's a lot of characters that didn't exist. I think that was more of it like buffing out the cast for the most part. Sure. No, but that that makes sense. So a, a pretty big evolution in the character. So, and like actually having a plot, you know, I feel like. But, right, and and at some point the character had to meet the plot, and everything had to change around that interaction. Yeah. So. I mean, I think I pro- I'm trying to sort of figure out how I wrote that first draft. I don't exactly remember, but um, the. Uh, Jesus, yeah, like the first draft of my book. I'm looking it up in Google now. It's it's named like Mol. It's named novel. <laughs> uh, 
and like novel parentheses six. Anyway, yeah, uh, like I feel like you know, I kind of you kind of like write the big moments, like the sort of like action sceney kind of moments, because those are the easiest things to conceptualize. So I, th- I feel like I was sort of writing a novel towards that. Um, and then you go back and you're like, all right, what's the actual plot in this? Uh, and how can I clean this up? And, you know, the moving of moving around of stuff and uh, that sort of thing. But, I, you know, it's been so long and I've sort of probably purposely put that out of my mind that, like, I honestly don't remember most of what scenes are were in there and were not no that's fair and and again we've we've hit on how sort of uh how elongated and and how at times tortuous this this particular path uh from start to finish was you know i have to ask at what point did you first decide i quit because I know you must have oh, felt totally. it at some point, given that many years. Uh, I don't know, several times. I don't know if I have, like, a explicit example. But, um, you know, it, it was like, I quit is probably a strong word, except in sort of like a like fussy baby <laughs> use of it, like a tantrum. Uh, but, like, there were definitely times when, like, I kind of made the tacit decision in my head, like, I'm going to back away from this for a long time. Uh and getting the the feedback when I paid an editor to look at it was definitely one of those of just like I you know I just felt completely deflated you know that was like a shock to the system of like oh I think I'm pretty much done here oh no I'm clearly not like not even close um, and that like hurt my fifis very bad even though this person was like completely professional and was nothing they did on their end um, so like that was difficult you know. I feel like most of mine are probably um, they're either that sort of external thing of like me getting hurt feelings because someone didn't understand exactly what I was going for. And thus that means that like, I must be the worst writer ever. Um, the other one was just, you know, I feel like I had plenty of moments where the the stopping thing was like just blaming myself being like, you know, I'm just not good at this. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like you just get in so deep with that stuff a lot of the time that you can't recognize what's good and what's bad. Uh, and when you're like more of an amateur, you don't know that that's normal. And so it freaks you out, I guess, or like puts more stress on you because you don't have the experience of it. So, um, now I feel like if I had those moments, uh, I would be like, okay, it's time to like cool off for a bit and not feel like this is the end of the world and like nearly have kind of a nervous breakdown because the pieces haven't fallen into place yet. And if they haven't now, then they obviously never will. And this is a disaster and there's no fixing it. Like, I feel like I probably had like a few of those <laughs> along the way. But if that were how you describe the current political situation in the United States, you would be justified uh, as to your book. Clearly, uh, those feelings were uh, temporarily legitimate, but ultimately misplaced because we got a a nice book out of the process. So, well, the fortunate part um, is nobody appoints a judge to the Supreme Court of my book uh, who's going to green light Citizens United type verdicts for the next 30 years. Hey, man, you could just get Gorsuch as your editor. I'm sure it would be painless. Yes, sure. I mean, I've seen some of his pros or his clerk's pros. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that by reading his writing style, I know 
immediately that I would just go insane yeah. trying to work with him on revisions. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and that's assuming I was like, you know, you get past the part where I think your values are reprehensible. It's like trying to sell a man a fence and tell him he's a racist. Can't, <laughs> can't tell a racist he needs a fence. <laughs> what are you talking about, old man? You'd be comical if you weren't uh, directly ruining our country's future in one of the most permanent ways our country has to do so. Yeah, it's a despairing time and a time that uh, benefits from the presence of werewolves and vampires. I guess. I mean, um, look. (laughs) There's there's something less horrific about thinking that something is about to siphon the living blood out of my veins um, than about the actual operations of society. Vampire Hunter D, Carnival, it's great. Take off in a spaceship yeah. at the end. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, character named Carmilla, if I recall, in Bloodlust. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I haven't seen Bloodlust in years. Uh, it's got a, we've got a werewolf with a mouth in his chest. That, that is true. I'm not that strong enough to do that. I don't... No, <laughs> I'm not either. Um, one of the things I'm also not strong enough to do is... is Get a book together and then do the the agent publisher business that comes at the end when you're trying to finally get people other than the half dozen or so friends and family that you've clubbed into reading it over the years over and over um, to read your book. And so to get this thing out to market, there is a sort of ritualized process as I understand it. How did you meet that? How did you find it? Uh, I mean, I I blindly uh, threw my arms around uh, and failed and then just decided to self-publish. Um, I, like, read a lot of blogs and I talked to the few people I knew who were actually in publishing and, you know, gave me whatever tidbits they could, you know, and then my, like, really, my close friend Shane um, is, like, responsible for a lot of my instruction on these things. Um, so it's like a lot of basically cold calling, sending people emails, uh, whether agents or publishers, but, um, you know, I'm sure everybody has like an idealistic view of it or an idyllic view of it when you first start and you're like, of course, like they're going to find me and they're going to think it's perfect and then they're going to pick it up and then sell it. Um, and you know, I went in with that mindset, whether I would admit it or not at the time. Uh, and then you send a lot of emails and most of them don't even get read. Uh, and the ones that do don't necessarily get a response. And then the ones that get a response, maybe they'll ask for like the first three chapters of your book or whatever. Uh, and then they may never respond again. <laughs> or if they do, in my experience, they say, ah, I'm not feeling it. Or like, I liked it better. And then there was the supernatural stuff and, eh. uh, and if you're lucky enough to get an agent from that process, the exact same, like literally to the letter process repeats with publishers. Um, and like I said, like I'm not the kind of person who does networking. So like a, a like sort of more dedicated person than me would go out there into the world and meet people at these sort of networking events that then would have a face to attach to your name and your manuscript uh, and actually see you as a real person instead of like a leech that is <laughs> trying to like gouge out more of their time for a poor reward. Um, but I, I, I kind of eventually figured out like, oh, at the pinnacle of that process, um, the best you can hope for 
is like a $5,000 advance uh, that you better fucking pray uh, your book makes back. Because if it doesn't, nobody will ever publish a book f from you again. <laughs> um, and at that point in the process, I was like, well, I'm obviously not going to be a millionaire. <laughs> and, you know, I, I can admit to a certain extent it was like intimidating the thought of like, oh, I have to do all this work and I could still just like fall flat on my face uh, just through chance. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I got a job. Like, I have a job that gives me health insurance, which is a rare commodity these day and age. So I'm just going to try and, like, accept that as a benefit uh, and self-publish this book because all I, like, really ultimately want to do is write. Uh, and if I haven't proven to, like, have the constitution to sort of, like, go through the, the treadmill of uh, rejections, then I should just sort of work in the way that most benefits my ability to what of what actually gives me satisfaction which is the writing um because i don't want to eat ramen <laughs> for the next however many decades uh until i either break out or die in ignominy it's a pretty pragmatic view of things but i i think uh yeah i guess i mean just, well, well reasoned <laughs> like i mean look i approached writing like i did podcasting <laughs> and that like I, I'm not going to say never got me anywhere because it got me married, among other things, and made me friends. Um, but it didn't make me a superstar, and I didn't put it in the amount of effort that it would have required to make me one either. So it's like no hard feelings, you know? It's just like sort of I made my choice, and I was like, I want to write books, like, and I'm going to do the way of that that requires the least not book writing parts. Um because, like, you know, what I kind of discovered is, like, oh, the people who, like, have success with it and get books publishing, they might be, like, good writers or average writers or whatever, but they're all really fucking good marketers, uh, and I'm not. So I either, like, need to decide that I'm going to get really good at that uh, or I should just self-publish and spend that time playing Japanese RPGs, which is what I decided. Sounds like a man who knows himself. Well, you know. Every day is a process. <laughs> and speaking of a process, you know, this, as we've repeatedly said, was sort of a long and grueling thing. Um, ever going to do it again? Uh, I mean, I want to. Uh, I haven't done nothing in the past uh, two years, but I've done less than I would have liked. Um, I've like, I found it difficult to sort of get back on that horse. Um, and I don't know if it's just a matter of like kind of a sophomore slump, so to speak, uh, or what, but yeah, like I, you know, I'm totally, I'm totally ready to do it again. Uh, I have kind of various thoughts of what a novel would look like. Uh, and even the sequel to this book though, I'm kind of undecided, you know, it's YA ish. So it's kind of a trilogy by default and I have like sort of the broad ideas of what that trilogy looks like, but I don't, you know, it's kind of more a matter of waiting to see if that happens to be what appeals to me or if I want to write some other thing. Um, I don't know. I have like another book in a drawer that is just like a straight up fantasy thing with dragons. I'd like to do something with at some point, but I just don't really know where I'm at in life, I guess. But 
the like self-publishing thing appeals to me. Um, I would of course like the external validation of being published, but like there, there's something very, I don't know. There's like that kind of like mindfulness crafty component of like managing your own shit, putting something up on Amazon, like learning how to do formatting, learning how to make an ebook, all that stuff. Like, um, that feels like work in that very concrete way. And <laughs> the like great thing about that is like when you have a job in front of you and then you do the job, like you, it feels good to do it. And you know, when the job is done and you can just look at it and be like, that's finished. All the margins are on that book and it's a file and now I can upload it, <laughs> that sort of thing. Whereas like getting back into the process of like, oh, I have to put like, I just have to vomit as many words on the page as possible. And then I have to spend the next four years of my life deciding which of these words are trash and which aren't. Uh, it's like intimidating at the very least. Um, and you know, ideally like the next one won't take four years because I feel like I've learned a lot from this process, but I don't really know where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm still just trying to figure out something that works for me where I can see sort of like short term dividends. Um, of kind of like both the like external validation of praise and feedback and also just the feeling of like, I published something on the internet. Um, so I have like a couple short stories out there here and there that are kind of meant to fill that need, uh, while I work on something more long-term, but I haven't really found a way to manage both. That's fair. So but you haven't been scared off from it. You've already got started on your next one and you're going to, you're going to take it wherever it goes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. From my perspective, there's nothing to sort of be scared off from <laughs> because like I went into it with very low expectations by the end. And it sort of met those expectations because I was like, my goal is to publish a book. My goal is not to like become an Amazon bestseller or anything. Um, and you know, to a certain extent, that's like a safety mechanism. Uh, so you don't get disappointed because your expectations are so low, but yeah, it's what gets you through the day. Fair enough. So, um, but I guess I, I say that to, to sort of mean that, you know, the joy for me was in putting out a book, not like, I don't know, like nobody was mean about it really. <laughs> so, cause like probably almost everybody who read it was a fan of this podcast. Um, so I, I can't think of like a single thing where like I got feedback from somebody who was like shitty or cruel about it that absolutely helps so like for there's sure. like um, in that sense there's nothing to scare me away with <laughs> like sure just uh, I, I was thinking i guess more of the rigors of the process in general knowing what it costs you to oh, get yeah. to the finished product but that just loops back to like you know what i said earlier is just like i just feel worse when i'm not doing it like right. w the way i approach that i guess is like there are times in my life where I'm like, what would my life be like if I could literally just turn this feeling off? Like, stop feeling like I want to, like, write stuff and just fucking chill for five minutes. Um, and, but if I do that, eventually I feel like garbage because I feel like I'm not doing anything. Uh, and I just, like, don't know how to make that step. So it's, like, kind of one of those things where it stops itself before it gets started. And I don't say that to be, like, you know, I guess in a sense I do have like an uh, like essential drive to create or something, but it's just like the suffering of like not having a project to work on feels greater than the 
suffering of working on a project. And like, I, I have very tangible, identifiable moments of both. So I'd rather take one than the other. That sounds fair to me. So, well, I thank you for uh, putting in the time and the effort uh, to put this together. It was a good read and certainly for an inaugural effort, uh, you know, to, to me quite strong. So, well, thanks, dude. I mean, yeah, I, I appreciate your feedback. Of course, you know, your opinion means a lot to me. I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I just, you know, I'm some guy. Yeah. Man, well, but, aren't but we I'm, all though? <laughs> but, but no, it, it, it was quite a lot of effort an effort that most people won't go through even to get the finished product, let alone to, you know, refine something to a good finished product Word. that you can stand by and be proud of. Yeah. And so, you know, big ups for doing Thanks, it, man. Because most people, most people never will. And, that that takes some real doing yeah. and thanks for spending the time to talk to me about it of course of course i mean i meant to do this as we discussed the month it came out yeah. and uh now nearly two years later here we yeah. are what are you gonna do it's probably not the longest lag time i've done <laughs> so is there anything else that you want to get out here on the, the sort of definitive edition of your own podcast about your book i don't know i mean Thanks everyone who read it. Uh, I put the book out immediately after the 2016 election, um, which was depressing. And uh, I don't know if I ever did. So anyway, I, I bring that up because I um, I was like, well, I'm, I don't really want this. I, I don't know. It wasn't that I didn't want this money, but I was like, I would rather do something with whatever money I'm going to make off this book. Uh, and I, so I decided to donate all the money I made to the Sylvia Rivera law project, which is, um, a New York based, uh, charity or, or nonprofit law organization. Uh, for helping trans people with like identity documents and stuff like that. You know, I wanted to pick a charity that felt like relevant uh, in 2016 and beyond. And that has certainly been the case. Um, so I, I think all told it ended up being like a little more than a thousand dollars. I don't remember what the exact total was. Maybe it was a little less. I don't know. It, was, it felt like a lot of money. So I really appreciate everybody who bought the book. Um, I learned how to make a print-on-demand book at some point in the process. Eventually, Amazon was like, we're just going to let you do your own POD. Uh, and that was miserable. That was like learning how to walk like before, or learning how to handstand before I could crawl. Uh, and I, I probably made a lot of mistakes. Well, I did make a lot of mistakes because they don't send you a test copy or a proof, as they call it in the business. So I had to buy my own proof to discover that the font size was like comically large. Uh, and like, <laughs> you know, I had made this gigantic, like nearly two inch thick book <laughs> um, <laughs> that was like, you know, I, I mean, at least six by nine. It was just totally enormous. But yeah, I, I took that as a lesson uh, and I tinkered with things and I made like a smaller version. And now you can buy the physical book and I guess you get the Kindle one for free. Uh, you know, I, I'm not exactly trying to market it because again, I feel like anybody who's listening to this who would have bought it probably already has. Um, but tell your friends. Oh, right. 
And uh, soon after, my laptop broke, and I lost all the files. And then I spent the better part of a year getting those files back uh, so I could put a little addendum in there at the end that just says, if you feel like somebody you know would like this book, just give it to them. Steal it. I don't know how you do that these days with ebooks, but like if you could find a way to copy it off your Kindle or whatever, or just email files around, put them up on torrents. I don't care. Just spread it around. I don't make any money off it. <laughs> I think maybe I make like $3 a month from this book, if that. Um, so I, but I did get the satisfaction of like, I can look over at my shelf and there is a physical book on there. Um, the appeal is perhaps a bit muted by it being a physical book that I had to pay for. <laughs> but, you know, you take what you can get. It's 21st century. The rules are different. Very good. <laughs> well, Mr. Riley, um, I can't think of any coda that will uh, sort of top that. That was all very good stuff. So with that, I'm just going to get out of the way and say go buy the book if you haven't read the book if you haven't uh and we look forward to hearing more out of you whether it's the podcast or you know reading more things that you've written uh always a very uh, smart and funny and creative character uh and it's a pleasure to get to talk to you again thanks man i guess the one thing is <laughs> you talk about like la or delay in recording this the like other thing on my notes is audiobook uh Ah, yes. But, which I, you know, does also sound like a fun project. But I would have to, I mean, I would have to learn how to do it, I guess, is the concern. Like, I would want to pay someone to do it, and I would have to learn how to make one. Um, so that's a way of saying auditions are open now, and <laughs> you can send them all to me, I guess. I, that email doesn't get anything but spam about what podcast services we should be signing up for now anyway. So you might as well brighten my day. Did you know that DaveAndJoel.com could benefit from the SEO services yep. of X and Y firm? Stitcher. I mean, we're so far past Stitcher at this point, like the stuff I get now. So, yeah. I still occasionally get search engine optimization emails for your domain. I don't know why. That's so weird. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's probably because your email's in the WordPress and uh yeah I, i'd assume it's somewhere there it where they can that. scrape yeah. it yeah but yeah it's quite funny nonetheless so yeah all right uh audiobook count me and yeah <laughs> thanks man thanks for all your hard work and putting this together and keeping consistent with it because you know i would have just let it fall by the wayside well i don't know if you can count this as consistency but uh i'm, I'm glad to have finally gotten it done so <laughs> Thanks, Wes. So thanks again. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. You too. Okay. Stop it.